Welcome to The Corner, the celebration and conversation of everything creative. It's a soapbox, it's an intersection, it's a gathering place. Here we go. What's up, everybody? This is Matt, a.k.a. M. The Glide Woodrow, and you are listening to The Corner. Welcome back. If you've been coming by, and if you're new to coming by The Corner, welcome. Hope you enjoy, and hope you subscribe and share and all of that. And if you've been coming by, definitely do that. All right. So, also, happy 50th to hip-hop. Um, recording this right around the time of what we're calling the official anniversary. So, 50 years and fittingly, um, I have a guest that fits into that. That's why I said fittingly. <laughs> um, so I'm excited to share this guest with you. Uh, it was a very good conversation, a very fun conversation at times, and a very uh, heavy conversation at times, but, but always productive, always good. And this guest is none other than American rapper, spoken word artist, activist, and screenwriter based out of Providence, Rhode Island, B. Dolan. Uh, B. Dolan has has composed three official LPs, uh, that is, full-length albums for Strange Famous Records. Uh, he works jointly with uh, speech development records up in Europe, so like all of the stuff that he releases here under Strange Famous will be released over there under speech development. Uh, if Strange Famous sounds familiar, it should. That is the record label that the one and only Sage Francis founded and owns and runs. And uh, yeah, so that's that's what... That's what goes on there. Um, so if B. Dolan sounds familiar, and he should, uh, it's because he's worked with people like Sage Francis and Atmosphere and Dan Lissac versus Scroobius Pip. Um, you know, he's done, um, he's been a pretty busy dude. He's also one half of the group Epic Beard Men with Sage Francis himself. So there it is. Um, as an activist, uh, B. Dolan is known for being the co-founder of nomore.org. Uh, he is scheduled for corp or he's scheduled to, to do some more work with that that uh, that website and he's also um, you know he's also one that advocates for corporate accountability. Um, so so that that website was all about that and uh, he'll talk a little bit about that in this episode. Uh, we talk a little bit about that whole thing. Um, and nomore.org also led to a to a battle with uh, the Dov Charney. He was a deposed CEO of American Apparel. Uh, so, corporate America 
knew who he was and knows who he is. And, uh, and if he's not liked by corporate America, then he's doing something right. Uh, so, yeah, and he's also um, the creator of the hashtags and, and, and the movements. Hashtag film the police and make racists afraid again. Uh, yeah, we talk a little bit about that whole thing, too. Um, so, yeah, definitely tune in for that. And he, as a screenwriter, um, as he wrote the movie Vault that has uh, Theo Rossi in it and Chaz Palminteri and Samari Wiley. Uh, it's a pretty cool, pretty cool story there What we talk good into. And uh, he also composes the music for that stuff, too. Um, yeah, all around fun conversation. Like I said, it gets heavy at times, but... We come through with all with grace and some poise, and yeah, this is such such a good good conversation. Very friendly dude, very very awesome dude. So gracious with his time and his his energy, and I'm very happy to share this episode with you. This episode with B. Dolan. Peace. Hello, hello. Yo, what up, man? Oh, not much. I uh, decided. Uh, sorry about the late hour. Like we got a, a little one. We're on her schedule totally. So, ah, no worries. Uh, I was. Uh, How's that? Uh, I was going to ask how that sounds on your end. If I'm like loud enough or. I could hear you. I could hear you fine. Um, right, I'm, cool. I'm coming through to them. Yeah. Perfect. And yeah, thank you very much for making the time for me. Yeah, pleasure, man. Yeah. As uh, for chasing me down. You're you're very welcome. I mean, it was like it's like it it wasn't hard to chase though, because like I gotta say, and I'm I'm saying this for my listeners too, because like I record from the moment you get on with me, and I probably will leave all this in. Um, you you got back to me, like you said, hey, I'm gonna get back to you when I know I'm free, and you did, and like you kept that going too. So like, it's just as much you keeping contact with me. So I want to make sure that I give you gratitude for that. No doubt. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's, I, it's, people hit me up sometimes and it's like a weird time to talk <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> right. I get a couple of invitations like last winter and i was just like uh i don't think you want to talk to me yet talk to me months from now but yeah, <laughs> I, I hang on to the context that's awesome yeah i, I totally understand that too because like there's like i'm and i'm pretty pretty loosey-goosey when it comes to trying to schedule people like that everybody asks like not everybody but tons of people like, what is your recording schedule and i just laugh before i ever respond to them because <laughs> it's like i have no fucking idea it just happens when it happens <laughs> so, yeah that's cool uh, yeah. um so yeah and then if you need to swear at all and then you can do that too so like don't even worry about that um because it was like like i just did too so uh, I, I try to only do it when I need to, but that doesn't always work. <laughs> so, Same. Uh, yeah, so, listeners of the corner, we have B. Dolan with us tonight. Uh, rapper, activist, poet, um, bearded man. Um, <laughs> so it's a uh, so it's a pleasure to have you on. And I got I got like I like I like to be loosey goosey, but I also like to be a little professional. So if you could bear with me going back and forth. Um, no doubt. But, all right um so how did the surgery go first of all like i, I saw that online I, like saw that you were recovering and now you're going off to europe with it but like yeah how did, how did it all go like how are you feeling it was intense I'm, I'm feeling pretty good uh all things considered um but yeah it's it's definitely a, it's a new reality like post-surgery um and uh 
it's it's ongoing it's uh kind of a psychological recovery at the same time as it's a physical recovery there's just certain new like physical realities to adjust to and then um returning to things that i did in the old version of me is always kind of like is this going to work or is, is this going to be unacceptable <laughs> or uh, <laughs> and uh so tour is like the biggest question mark i i had that question mark in my head about shows and performing at all for a while um after the surgery i had a pretty serious like spinal fusion emergency surgery and uh definitely i mean during the recovery process and during the, the surgery process itself which was terrifying uh think i i did think about the idea of never performing again and um and all of that was was definitely part of it and so each step towards coming back has been certainly pretty heavy um and tore is, is that probably about to be the heaviest but um i'm i'm optimistic i think it'll be more good than bad all right i've got a good based on the music i understand and based on like the the energy you're putting into like the stuff that you've put online i have to i have to give you my vote of confidence too because i'm and i'm not a doctor by anything so uh, <laughs> but uh, but uh, but uh, but i am someone who can recognize confidence and uh and and and, and power if you will so i see that in you so yes yeah. uh yeah you're welcome. You're very welcome. Yeah, so speaking speaking of that, that was the first time. Like, I, I mean, I got familiar with the music prior to seeing you, and this is back in must be like either 2015 or 16. Uh, you came wow, up to that was came early. Up, yeah, you came up to Burlington uh, with Atmosphere. And, oh, okay. Uh, so, so, so maybe not not too early. Yeah, uh, okay. That was uh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that was, was probably 2016 or 17. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was an absolutely dope set, and uh, had I had the opportunity to tell you that, I would have said the exact same thing I just said there. Uh, but like, it was yeah, dope as hell to watch you do what you did, because I got familiar with your music and your poetry a little bit beforehand, because I had not seen your name anywhere. So I'm like, okay, so it's well, actually I probably saw it in the and you know the Spotify or you know streaming like if you like so and so you probably would like uh so yeah i know you've come through on those those mixes but like i never actually saw it's still about a month or so prior to that show really got got busy with your music and yeah and and your work and it and you did not let down for sure like that that was such a good set um so so thank you for the just melting my face that night i remember that show that was a fun show I remember that as being a really good uh, freestyle session at the, that happened on uh, during Atmosphere's set. Yeah, that was, was uh, yeah, that was really dope. <laughs> I managed to work in Ben and Jerry's and Bernie Sanders. That's how I know. And both <laughs> both punchlines really popped the crowd, which <laughs> that was the that was the game. Uh, I remember, the freestyle, like, yeah, I, remember, I do remember those lines now that you said it. <laughs> I was that, and it was it was funny because like I don't I don't typically get any sort of any sort of like inebriated at a show because I want to make sure I get home and I also want to remember the show because I'm one of those funny duddies that yeah. Spends money on a ticket and wants to remember it. Um, yeah. I don't buy the whole, like, if you didn't remember it, you weren't there. I mean, it sounds kind of, uh, yeah. I don't, I just don't. So, but I got a lot of, I mean, you're at a rap show, you're going to get a contact high at least. And when you drop that Ben and Jerry's, <laughs> I'm like, I, 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 like, I can go for some ice cream right now. <laughs> 
that, that, that venue is always very lit in a very special specific way i've only i think i've only been there twice and the first maybe three times i might have three memories of that room once i played on the other side where it's kind of a smaller venue they can kind of turn it into a smaller venue over there oh yeah the, um, the lounge or where yeah yeah and then i think i played but no no show was as big as that um atmosphere show was but uh I do remember even the very first time, which I think had to be with Sage Francis and Soliloquist of Sound, I think was the first time I was, I probably ever played Burlington. Um, and yeah, I just remember like there was a girl with a hula hoop on stage uh, during my set, like out of nowhere. And I was just like, what the fuck? Like is is really disorienting, but, but specific. And, and it's never let me down that venue. <laughs> yeah. High ground. A- yeah, higher ground is such a it's a fun place. Like and it's it's such a it's such a Burlington, Vermont place too. Like it's like, yeah. like a hula hooping at a rap show. I mean that's, <laughs> yeah, the, that's, that's the thing. Yeah, I was like, we're yeah. in Vermont now. Yeah, and as soon as you I remember you saying that too. And like as soon as you said that, I'm like, I could immediately think about a dozen and a half people that could have been. <laughs> so it's, Don't ever change, Burlington. Don't ever change. <laughs> Absolutely not. And, it's probably my favorite little city around, really. Like, it's such a ridiculous place, but so fun. Yeah. And, but, yeah, like I so said, it's that set. It was great. And that, that actually reminded me, too, of um, in that in your set, you talked or you did you did the piece um, who killed Russell Jones. Yeah. And uh, that, that 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 track hits me every time I hear it because, like, it's, it's stuff I thought about. Hmm. um so prior to you doing it but i never really articulated it i remember like laughing when i was a kid like because his antics were ridiculous but then yeah. also because i'm serious enough at times i'm like there's something else going on there and yeah uh, so so can you talk a little bit about like where that came from yeah i so wu-tang was pretty huge and foundational for me in my entry into rap they weren't like the first rap group i ever fell in love with but they when those records dropped entered the 36 chambers and like all the early ones and spe- specifically to cal method man's first album was like it just growing up where i grew up um hip-hop was not really everywhere yet and i would just come across things tapes or cds usually tapes and i remember to cal specifically was like a dubbed copy of to cal and to cal is already a grimy as fuck album yeah uh, but it, i just like that was all i wanted to hear once i heard it and uh so odb i i had a similar experience of just like being young and him being an idol and the the mtv stuff going to collect his welfare check in a limo just like the out outlandish shit he was he was always in the press he was being reported on a lot um but as i i never really let go of those wu-tang albums and i as an mc i was always kind of and producer even kind of like studying them and like what what do i like about this so much like what is good about this and how do i how do i like get this and then depart from it and do something else with it and odb i was always just aware of how important he was to that whole formula because in that whole crew of hard serious bars you know lyrical rappers odb was the one who would just crack everybody's face 
you know, just just be he wasn't a jester because he, he also had skill and he was also dead ass serious about what he was doing and saying. Um, but his personality was such that it, it just it, it pulled the focus to him 100 percent for the time that he was there, no matter what he was doing. And then he let it go. And then the the cypher could kind of resume with new energy. Um and so I was always a big fan of him and his style. And, and I mean, even just watch, go watch YouTube clips and watch the way the dude moved when he rapped. It is, there was just no other. There's no father to his style. Um, <laughs> and as I became a performer later in life and started touring and having peers who were um, around me and started thinking about all those guys differently as like, Oh, those were, those are just people, you know, your heroes are just people, especially in music. They're all out here kind of living a very similar life and interacting with similar stuff. And I, you know, I started to think about the loss of him once he was gone and just realized like a lot of people failed him and, in, in ways that you couldn't exactly pin any one specific blame to any one person, but collectively, um, sometimes some of these personalities, today I was thinking about Michael Jackson. Someone was playing a, a clip from a young Michael Jackson and, and uh, I was just like listening to young Michael Jackson sing and the, the amazement of how was that kid able to have <laughs> that talent and that understanding singing these like mature love songs that he knew nothing about as a young kid. Um, and I was thinking about Michael Jackson and just like, whatever you think of his guilt or innocence later in life, I think we all agree. Like he ended up pretty fucked up. <laughs> by Absolutely. Fame. Yeah. And if we think about young Michael Jackson, like, wow, this, this beautiful gift that this person had, um, became subjected to this this thing that we have this like culture and this fame and this uh fortune and everything that comes with it and became warped and got hurt and came out you know or, or got cut short or got whatever happened in those in all these cases of uh people we lose too soon or like brilliant folks who died tragically um yeah so it was on my mind. It's always kind of on my mind a little bit. And uh, there's there's a Bob Dylan song, Who Killed Davey Moore, about a prize fighter, um, which is where I borrowed the like format for the song. Nice, nice. Yeah, that's, and like I said, like, it's like stuff I had thought about prior to. Like, and it's like, because I, we grew up in a similar age um, where like, you know, when Wu-Tang, I was, I was a kid when Wu-Tang dropped as well. So like, and then ODB being such a character, like yeah. there's there's like there's ODB the the man and there's also the like this whole legend of him too. And it's in in that's that that track really like just thank you for articulating what I was trying to do back when I was like when he passed away, I was like I was trying to figure out like how to say it to someone. I'm like all I could keep kept on saying is like the industry killed him. <laughs> so it's yeah. like, and and I couldn't articulate it at the time and you know and and now I, I point to your track and like, well, this dude be Dolan says it better. And I, I tried to say it. So, <laughs> and, and I do fancy myself a poet um, as I do write, but like at the same time, sometimes the right words are not for the, or those words aren't for the, that person. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah. So it's a, 
Yeah, it's such a. And I, I think about Michael Jackson a lot too, actually, honestly. But uh, he brought him up too. Because I don't think there's anybody our age that didn't grow up with his music either. So, yeah, I, he, his music might single handedly. It, it was the music that when I was a, a very, very young child, like probably a toddler, um, that it, w- it was the first music that I, I wanted to hear my parents play over and over and over again. Um, because I don't, I don't even know if we had kids' music growing up in the eighties. <laughs> I was born right. in nineteen eighty-one, and right. I think I just my whole childhood. I just remember listening to whatever was pop radio at the time and becoming obsessed with certain songs on pop radio because it's what my parents listened to, and like "Beat It," "Billie Jean," all that shit. Like, I my grandmother made me a, a sequin glove, and they would give me a wooden spoon and put me on the dinner table, and I would like perform as michael jackson as like a a young kid probably five or six years old like uh so yeah i mean i could not overstate the influence of michael jackson on my musical taste my career all that i would Um, yeah i'm right there with you i'm really because i i'm a 77 model myself and so like yeah the so the the 80s for me were were similar like i you know hip-hop wasn't all over the place until you know i'm I was probably a lot more of a toddler, probably almost a double digits. Yeah. But, but, but but then Michael Jackson was on and I remember watching that, that video and being freaked out, but at the same time, like freaking out about how fucking cool it is. Yeah. Especially, especially for the time. And you know, that that was it John Landis directed that. And so it's like, yeah, uh, I mean, it's, and that it's still important music. I even Quincy Jones in that era, um, was the bridge between the history of black American music and our present day situation. Like those, that era uh, took so much from the seventies and sixties and jazz and literally some of the same players are on those records as just session musicians and shit. Like I, I think uh, Jimmy Smith, the organ, the jazz organist is on, is that that's the organ on bad I, I found that out like a year or two ago i was like dad god damn of course but because you know, quincy jones connects all those things right yeah i heard that too and i i, I think someone someone i work with who is also a huge jazz head like i am as well and like and that's where my wife can pick on me because like i'm leaning into my middle age by like totally being obsessed with jazz and, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but it's yeah, but it's I mean it's beautiful music, so why would why you know and she doesn't question that part, but like but uh but I remember this this friend and coworker, he's like, Did you know? And he said that same thing about the organ and I'm like, What? And then yeah. you know, then growing up in the era that I you know, that I grew up in, like Root Down by the Beastie Boys. Yeah. Totally, yeah. totally got root down from from Jimmy Smith's root down. Yeah. Uh, which still remains one of my favorite That's tracks almost... of all time. So it's a yeah. Uh, because, yeah, because who, who, I mean, I, I, I dare say, like, who doesn't like the Beasties, but there's a lot of people who give me shit online about it. Like, yeah, people talk shit about the Beasties these days. I see it. I see yeah, it happening. It's weird. It's, it's weird. Like, they, they were there. They were there for it. They were outside for it all. <laughs> I mean, they, yeah, they were outside for it all. Come in. It's like they, they, they handed Russell the tape for all cool J for fuck's sake. I mean, it's, it's like, yeah. Like, like, I mean, it was a little dramatized from wild style, but that actually yeah. is how it happened, right? So. Yeah. Yeah, I think certain things maybe come in and out of fashion, and maybe there's an element of, like, camp or something about the Beastie Boys that um, people now don't necessarily 
look for or understand. Um, but yeah, in in that era, and and they were more than just like hey ladies too. I think that's I I think a lot of people associate them with like the MTV singles and you know like the um, a certain persona that they feel hasn't aged well maybe. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. Those a lot of those records still stand up. A lot of that production is still great. A lot of that emceeing and the, like those records top to bottom are still great. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So we're speaking the same language. That's that's awesome. Well, I had a feeling we would because like I I see your posts online. I'm like, yeah, this this cat's cool. Just like not only does he rap <laughs> like I want, he raps his ass off, but he's cool. Like I I, f- I felt like we could have this conversation that we're having right now. <laughs> so yeah, I appreciate it. Um, and I appreciate it back too. So it's uh, we got that going. Uh, so speaking of camp and stuff like the the like the in in like the the act and the characters and everything, in in my travels with with your stuff and in in your work, I came across the evil Knievel and the, the bombs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can we can we tell us uh, tell us a little more sure. about evil Knievel and bombs? Yeah, they were kind of a midpoint in my transition from performing as a spoken word poet predominantly to rap. Um, and they were, they, those things happened at a point where I was, I was very uh, disenchanted with spoken word in general. I, the way I ended up on stages and, getting signed and all of that is was sort of a weird route from uh, a mill town in Rhode Island to moving to New York in the year 2000 started performing at the New Eurekan Poets Cafe just because I didn't have backing tracks or a DJ or anything I just had notebooks full of writing and I read them at an open mic and someone was like oh you can go to the New Eurekan Poets Cafe in the village and every Wednesday there's an open mic there so I started going there and performing there and, and I started doing pretty well. And as a result of that, I became sort of like known first as a spoken word poet. And then I wrote more spoken word and then uh, 9-11, fast forward, moved to Providence, Rhode Island, uh, run into Sage Francis and uh, meet the Poetry Slam team there. And so I'm, I'm, everybody's kind of in this world of poetry slam in the year 2002, I guess. Um, but everyone's also pretty disenchanted with it because it's kind of whack. And it's like <laughs> there's a three minute time limit. There's a lot of horrible poetry that you interact with. Uh, there's a, and I, I hate to say that because it sounds like a sweeping generalization and it sounds elitist, but it, there, there's a lot of insincere poetry. There's a lot of, bakers who were just like learned tricks of how to manipulate an audience because it's poetry for a score was the game it was just random judges in the crowd would hold up a score from zero to ten and rate your poem and then there would be a winning poem <laughs> and then the fucking <laughs> you'd end up on a team and you go to the national poem slam competition and slam your poems against other poems uh it was silly shit but you know, it, it resulted in some people being able to book uh, shows on the college circuit and make a living. So, you know, this this was a career path at one point. And uh, it was in that like disillusionment and also because hip hop is what I cared about and I wanted to be making music anyway 
that I was like, man, fuck all this, fuck these stupid rules, fuck. And and there was a thing with costumes that you could never, you couldn't ever wear a costume, and you could never use a prop, and you had to be in a three minute time limit. I was like, none of this shit matters to me. If I can hold a crowd's attention for eight minutes, if I can, if I can shock a crowd into sub, like to submission, and they they don't clap what if i want to do that <laughs> you know like well, maybe i don't want to 10 maybe i want them to just stare at me because they can't fucking fathom what i just did on this stage uh <laughs> so that that was that was that era and it resulted in some pretty it, this was also the time when the iraq war was kicking off and the activist in me was very much not feeling the idea of crowd pleasing and so i just started doing this like real absurd shit um that would involve rehearsed spoken word, but with costumes and with, with no announcement and no, <laughs> I would just take the crowd by surprise and they would just be like, what the fuck is happening? And there'd be someone on stage in an evil Knievel costume talking to them or with the Bomzo poem. Uh, the, the video you probably saw was from the time when Sage would just let me, uh, no one knew who I was. I had never released any music. Sage would just let me heckle him from the crowd. He would pretend to like give me the mic and I would just take over his show for four minutes and, and be like a bad guy wrestler insulting the crowd and saying all this like really pro-war uh, stuff and kind of representing the ugliness that I was perceiving from government officials and American, uh, <laughs> you know imperialism at the time uh so yeah that's what those performances were that's that's incredible that's that's the type of shenanigans i am i'm here for <laughs> so it's like... yeah, yeah it, it was extreme i feel i i i pulled back from that place to once i started releasing and making music um because that that extreme style of performance had I, I, it ran its course. Like I, I went through it for a bunch of years and I did those shows everywhere. And that is at a certain point I was like, all right, maybe, maybe just shotgun blasting people in the face is not the way to go. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> we can scale it back. It's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a method, but I uh, mean, you know, <laughs> uh, well, it's, it's, I, I appreciate the, the shit out of that though. Cause like, it's, it, it's, I'm, I'm going to be one of those guys that I am one of those guys that would have been in the car, the, that, crowd see you pull some shit like that and try to find you after the set be like that was fucking great <laughs> i would be the I one gotta, man yeah i'd be the one yeah. encouraging that type of shit like it's, it's the type of thing and i love that sage would let you just like basically heckle in like the heel and then wwe or some shit that's yeah. a, that's awesome yeah people did not take it well in many places people were throwing shit and yelling shit but that that was kind of the aim it was it was also my as I started to perform more and more and I started to come out into these spaces, I at the, at, the, at that time was a fan of almost exclusively black hip hop artists and came out into the underground hip hop um, stages and realized like, oh, this is mostly white kids here. Um, and so rather than shy away from it or rather than ignore it, I wanted again having just come from a community that i had decided was really insincere and fake <laughs> um <laughs> I, I wanted to be like oh all right like let's talk about whiteness let's you know let's really perform this ugliness to each other and 
And um, so it was, it was meant to be really, really confrontational. Um, and there, there was a time in, in DC where a black audience member met me outside and was like, you know, I come here to get away from that shit. <laughs> like that, <laughs> that is what's around me all the time. And I came to this show to get away from that. And I didn't need that tonight. And it, I never forgot it. And it, it's a big part of why I don't do that performance anymore. Cause it made me realize like, all right, man, <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you know, you got to use a, a more precision tool if you want to talk about what you're trying to talk about. And that, that raises the, that, I mean, that does raise it a very important point and you don't want to ignore that part of it. Cause like, it's, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, I, I, the shenanigan aspect of it. I mean, that that's the kind of smart ass I am. But then, like I said, like I do like to get serious sometimes, and like it, and I am very serious about issues like that. And I think, in the vein of what you were saying about, like you know, you grew up on on black hip hop artists and 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 personalities. Um, I'm similar in that vein too, is where a lot of people will immediately think i mean they're not they're not wrong sometimes but a lot of people will immediately think because i'm white i must have you know third base on the regular you know or <laughs> or like or you know even like i said I, I will always defend beastie boys yeah uh, but that all being said i like i want to appreciate where it came from and who it came from so it's uh so yeah i i i love that 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 juxtaposition between like what you're trying to do and what you were sick of coming from and then yeah. into that conversation, that's a, like, you never know when those types of conversations are going to come up, which is awesome. Uh, yeah. yeah. There, I, I think um, the activist, I, even though I, I always hate using the word activist, but the <laughs> politically conscious, also hate using the word conscious, uh, <laughs> <laughs> part of me is, is always um, trying to do the same thing that the artist part of me is trying to do, which is, figure out exactly what my voice is what my contribution is what my pov is and you know do the least amount of harm take the least amount of shit um and it's a growth process on both sides of just figuring out like maybe i fit in here no nope, no nope, that's not quite where i fit in or you know um and kind of refining and coming more into your yourself it takes time that's what's up yeah that's yeah, that's that, that I can I can see that in in in, the, in what the art of yours you have shared to the world. I can see that like that that moving, and that I mean it, I, I I shudder sometimes in saying the word evolution because it makes it feel like like it's it's this other thing. Uh, and evolution might be the right word, but but I do see like that that growth and that that thought process. So if like if that's an active, God. yeah, like as you say, if that was an active like you want that that to be seen and then congratulations it's seen and i anybody i play your stuff for immediately is taken in by by the fact that you are again not the word we want to use but conscious like that you are a cognitive person like you are very <laughs> you are very cognitive cognizant of the world around you so it's like you see imbalance and you want to speak to it and you also want to shatter it and that's i appreciate the shit out of that because um, I, because I, I know I get in similar trouble. Is like, like, I don't have characters I play like you did back in the day, but, <laughs> I, but I am in, in in some sense a character because like I'm always smartassing someone 
I'm always sarcastic about some shit. Like I think that's I think I sent you a message about hopefully the email came in hopefully i changed it to my actual name <laughs> yeah because or did it say grown up on that email i'm not sure uh i didn't see it or, no i don't see it oh cool because like i must have changed that at some point and actually <laughs> grew up a little bit and changed it to actually my actual name um but that being said too i also go by m the glad woodrow online when i'm doing the twitter or whatever elon wants to call that shit these days um <laughs> Oh, it's, uh, that's his now, I guess. It's, it's, <laughs> Speaking of imbalance, yeah, yeah, man, like he was—he's imbalanced, and so he's imbalanced. That's I think, and, then, <laughs> and I, yeah, holy shit! But uh, but thinking about all that stuff too, because like, and, and, I'm, and I apologize if I'm going to go heavy for a sec. Uh, when I, I see a lot of your posts um, on feminism, on anti-racism, um, you were very protect trans people. Um, I'm just going to, from the bottom of my heart, I'm getting kind of choked up on this one. It was like, thank you very much for everything you say and do on all those ends. Um, Because I I try to do the same and, you know, I catch static here and there, but most of the time the static comes from people I don't need near me anyway. Um, But, but it's, but you say it on a daily basis and, uh, and that's, that's just fucking awesome. So thank you very much for the bottom of my heart for being, that type of person for being that guy. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I have, I've come to it honestly. Um, when I was in high school and, uh, dealing with lots of home stuff and, um, was sort of an outsider and very isolated kid. Um, I sort of ended up hanging out with, the gay kids uh and so some of my earliest friends in high school were uh queer and um and so it was never not a part of my awareness um especially if if you've had friends at that age and witness how difficult it can be for high school kids to come out and that whole process um to not to not have empathy for queer people was was never in the cards um and as time went on, um, I found that it was healing to be with uh, women and with <laughs> queer people and with people who ha- are traditionally ostracized by performances of masculinity. And as a big, burly, bearded, cis, hetero, white dude, um, when I say it was healing, I mean, I was connected to parts of me that were made off limits to me by what I now would call patriarchy or toxic masculinity. We have all these words that we didn't necessarily have at that time. Um, And so it was just always kind of a a part of who I was. Um, And then only later did some kids who I had been caring for, for like their whole lives or since they were small children um, come out in their adulthood late, like in, at 24, even though like I'm on stages going like LGBT, you know, we are on the side of pride. There were closeted kids in my life who were going through their own journey and um, are now really happy, healthy, wonderful queer adults that I'm forever proud of and love. Um, and when I come home from this tour, I'm going to one of their weddings um, in awesome. September. Um and yeah, so I it's it's uh it's very personal, it's very important to me. 
And uh, yeah, I mean that shit. Yeah, and, and I'm it's... disgusted by the the, <laughs> the attacks and all the current state of shit. You know. Yeah, I mean, you and me both on that. And I, I, I dare say we have more people out there like us uh, who are yeah. then than not. I just think we need to get louder about it. And you being out there making art with it too helps that get loud and get amplified and then uh it, it just for for someone and also have like i have family in the queer community um i mean the blood red blood relatives you know my one of my old my oldest is and identifies in the queer community and uh and to sort of see your your see someone like that i listen to often you know and and like i play around her um speak up for this like it, it makes it makes more validation for her happening and that's just that's what's up yeah i mean it's like i i get teary i get kind of choked up thinking about it all and uh yeah so i just wanted to make sure i did not go without giving you a huge thank for that so, right up. yeah and then it's like it's yeah, it's 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 it doesn't matter like that like i i similarly to you like i in high school you know i played baseball so i hung out with those cats but like i i also did theater and I know it's a stereotype, but it's also like my theater yeah. my theater friends will tell me it's a stereotype for a reason, Matt. <laughs> so it's yeah. a, and not like the rest of the stereotypes you hear in the world, but like this is it's kind of true. Um, so it's like so yeah. some of my closest friends growing up and into college. Um, and there were a couple of people that were proudly out um, pretty young. And, but then they were most most of the time, like you, I've. We didn't hear them come out of the closet till they were in their mid twenties. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, that just kills me. Like how? Yeah, uh, yeah. It didn't. It didn't make me feel good. I, I had, to, I, I found myself apologizing and just being like, I don't know what I could have done different. And, uh, uh-huh. and then the answer was like nothing, nothing. There's nothing you could have yeah. done. But it was still like, God damn, man, you know, right. uh, the wasted time. Or you know, I, I, I maybe I don't want to characterize it like that, but I'm like, you're starting, you're. You know, you're kind of going back to 16 at 24 now. <laughs> right. Fine, and it's a thing, and uh, it happens. But yeah. Um, but why did it have to happen? You know, and right. Um, and like, like I said, when we we did the Church of Love and Ruin tour in uh, 2012 or so, I think we started doing those where we were bringing drag queens and uh, burlesque performers and all that to hip hop shows, and there was a a feeling or a sense when i talked to some people that there were it was sort of like well you're doing this really cool thing for queer performers and i was struggling to um express at the time like actually i'm doing something for us i'm doing something for hip-hop that because hip-hop is missing what these queer performers will bring to it and that is how I always continue to feel about making spaces safer uh, at our shows and all of that. I kind of, I'm kind of at the point where I just, uh, I've said to myself, I'd never want to be on a lineup again where it is exclusively one gender or exclusively one race. Um, we we have to like forcefully try and and like diversify these lineups diversify these audiences and make it good and make it make it make it doable make it safe for everybody um and yeah it's it's hard to express that to 
people who are in a privileged position or who perceive themselves as normal um, because they are straight and they they think that this other is gonna is gonna you know somehow threaten or harm them when in fact it's it's going to fix what's missing inside of you and that's seems extreme to say that but on the other side of spinal surgery <laughs> and <laughs> e even i a, a somewhat probably you'd call me an, an evolved guy uh found myself just totally reevaluating my relationship with my own body my own feelings um and when you are socialized at within uh heteronormative behavior there's a lot that you are cut off from because of your rigid ideas about gender and what you can or can't do or can or can't express and what you do or don't feel and what is or isn't appropriate for you. You, you become the police of yourself and you, you fuck yourself up that way. <laughs> um, so, so opening yourself up, opening your communities up is going to bring in new perspectives who are going to look at you and be like, you need to talk motherfucker. Or you, <laughs> you know, like, what's going on with you? You know, every episode of queer, queer eye that you watch, you know, it's, it's you see this displayed, you know, like, <sighs> definitely um, yeah. <laughs> every once I, in a while, you know, I you love some different show, type yeah. of people to come in and look at your ass and just be like, wow, you're, you're fucked up. What are you doing? Right. I, I, I love that show. And like, I, I like you, I, I, you know, identify as that, that the cis hetero dude, I'm even bearded as well. I mean, you've seen my, my picture if we talk <laughs> online, you know, it's like, and, uh, oh man. And then I, I, I watch Queer Eye and Karamo, man, makes me cry every fucking episode. Every yeah, because they'll, they'll, they'll take some fucking lumberjack to a spa treatment. And all of a sudden the lumberjack is like fixing what's been fucked up about his life for 20 years that he, the, the, the big answer that's been right in front of his face, you know, he just had to go, he, he had to like, give his body permission to relax. He had to, he had to do something that he might've previously associated as feminine or as not as, as off limits to him, you know? <laughs> it's a, yeah. I mean, this, this conversation has gone in different ways than I thought it might have, but also kind of where I was somewhere in my head envisioning it happening. <laughs> so thank you very much <laughs> yeah. for that. No doubt. Yeah. It's just like, it's, it's a, it's a relief to talk to people who, who, who uh who think the way you're thinking and also like i'm talking to you because i absolutely love your art and what you do so like there's a lot of layers here just to quote shrek it's like it's like an onion so it's like, <laughs> so there's a character right. that that that, uh, that he he's definitely bucks some stereotypes too and bucks those those, <laughs> those things so. shrek yeah he struck the struck did some changing he he, he, he right. yeah I think he started out as that like mean guy, but then he ended up being like very heartfelt and like lovey dovey too. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, got in touch with himself there. Like, a, yeah, yeah, Shrek's journey. Yeah. yeah, I think we could all learn a little something from that kind of journey, though. So. <laughs> yeah, that's what's that. Yeah. And see, that's the yeah mix of smartassery and some seriousness. That's that's that, my wife tells me that's why she married me. I believe her because she hasn't kicked me out yet. So. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, if any if by the way, if anybody wants to read more and think more about stuff like that, a great book I found recent or during the recovery process uh is called Um Masculinity and the Will to Change by Bell Hooks. Uh, yeah, Bell Hooks is amazing. Yeah. Uh, Recommend that one. Yes. Yes. 
There's Bidon Book Club right now. So. <laughs> and, all right, so, so thinking thinking of like it's sort of thinking about those issues, but also coming back into your your your, your music. Um, one of my all time favorite tracks here is and something I wholeheartedly agree word word for word, syllable to syllable of film the police. But I also love how you end that with fuck the police. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, so 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 I, I have an idea of where that kind of thing comes from, but like, could you could you extrapolate a little bit about what what was pushed you to make that happen? Yeah, um, uh, police brutality protests were a, have been a part of my whole adult life uh, from the time when I moved to New York when I was eighteen. The first protest I ever went to was um, against the uh, shooting of Amadou Diallo by the NYPD. Uh, when Giuliani was mayor, uh, they had a long string of uh, horrific police brutality cases where the officers were barely disciplined, never mind brought to justice. Um, so, police brutality had kind of always been on my radar. And as growing up listening to rap, um, I was completely focused on it as a youth, more so than, okay. you know, other political problems because I was so immersed in hip hop um that i knew the deal and um and with political music in general and political poems the the bombs of the clown thing was actually a kind of an early indicator of my my frustration uh because i i really had a sense that i didn't want to just get on stage and say political slogans and get good feedback for it i that was part of the insincerity I saw in the spoken word community of, of like, that's really easy to do. And those bumper stickers are really easy to kind of parrot. And uh, it was a trick to get people on your side. If people agree with what you're saying politically, they might be more forgiving of your lack of talent. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I was like, these, this isn't helping anyone. These fucking hacks just passing off this, political lazy shit um and so that was my attitude and i was engaged as an activist in other ways we we had a website called nomore.org where i was reporting on corporations for a bunch of years and i was focused on that stuff i had activist friends as a result of that in many different areas because that that corporate website kind of covered everything it did workers rights and environmental concerns and political influence and all of that um and it's still online at corporatebehavior.org that database but uh a good friend of mine was engaged in cop watch stuff in boston and was telling me about trainings where people were setting up cameras and windows of over police neighborhoods um and letting the cops know whenever you're on this block you're being filmed by the people who live on this block and if you're harassing people on the street we're going to have footage of it and that was a way to police the police that i thought was really smart and then the oscar grant killing happened in san francisco by the bart uh transit police and it happened in a subway station and while the subway cars were open everyone kind of pulled out their cell phones and the Rodney King thing happened had happened years earlier, but that was like a VHS thing that someone had like a VHS from their their balcony, I think, and caught the Rodney King uh, beating. But the Oscar Grant thing was the first one I remember in the era of cell phones, where it was just like, oh, 
the Rodney King shit can can happen everywhere now because everyone's got a camera in their pocket. And uh, in my conversations with that friend, uh, Mallory, um, she was like, you should take the fuck the police beat and just make film the police. And I was like, yeah, I should I should do that. (laughs) uh, (laughs) It was that it was kind of that simple. That's how it became a thing. That's that's awesome. Yeah, it's it. I, I remember, I remember the stuff. As I grew up in Dorchester, Massachusetts, um, so I know the Boston area pretty pretty well. And I remember even as a kid hearing about that stuff. And then, yeah, the older I got, when I moved out of Boston, hearing about the the, the neighborhoods that would watch, they would film the police and everything, and like, or just tell the police, like, you know, keep your shit together. We're 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 at least watching you. And, yeah, um, and important to do, especially considering the age that I, that, that I grew up in. Whitey, Whitey Bulger was still put, <laughs> putting cops on his <laughs> on his full payroll too. So right. it, it almost didn't matter for anybody in his his land. But like, yeah, if you were from Dorchester, it didn't matter hmm. at all. You know, if a cop saw you from Dorchester, you probably weren't going to be believed. Um, yeah, especially if you look different than than I do. Or like you do, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So like that, I, I heard that song. I'm like, this is this this is it right here. Like and you, like you said, like everybody's got cameras in their pockets now. So and, yeah, and that's and it. The, the, sorry, that's no, right. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say the 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 activist in me kind of approved it. Like this is not these are not empty words. This is actionable. You know, this is cool. This is this is something that could stick in people's heads. If the song is good enough, um, they'll think about it when they see a cop acting up. You could you could make this hook stick in somebody's head, and you could contribute something. Um, and it was sort of the specificness of it that got me excited, and I think also that made it useful and it it hit like I wanted it to. Um, as opposed to the bombzo thing where, where I kind of, like I said, it was just like a shotgun blast and I hit some people I didn't mean to hit. And I, <laughs> I don't know if I had the right effect on the people I did mean to hit. And this was like, I saw it happen. I saw film, the police become a hashtag and it's still a hashtag. And there are many people who I'm sure have not seen the song or ever heard the song, but I have used the hashtag or have written film, the police on a wall in graffiti somewhere. Um, and when I saw that happen, I was like, there, that's, that's what good political art could do. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely kudos for that. Cause like, it's, it's something that, I mean, it, for the listeners uh, who haven't heard this, like go out and hear the song first of all. And I know that most of my listeners are pretty much on the same page we are here. Um, there's a couple that, that will argue with me about stuff like this <laughs> every now and again. Like I, I shared this song with, uh, with someone I know who, identifies as a libertarian which <laughs> just, sorry i'm sorry i didn't mean to no, laugh that hard at liberty no, word libertarian i'm sorry if you could see if you, if you could have seen my face when i said that yeah you ver- you ver- okay. yeah you verbalized the, the face i was making because because <laughs> like because 99 times out of 100 that 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 libertarian is going to to tell you that the person should have complied with the police and like you realize, yeah. you realize the police are the boot in that fucking flag you fly. Saying, oh, come on, guys. Just say you want to smoke indoors again. You don't have to invent a whole fucking political philosophy. Just say that you want to be able to smoke in restaurants again. Right. I'll respect it. Maybe we'll give you a restaurant in every town where the libertarians can hang out. 
<laughs> if they go if they go smoke indoors, they'll they they they'll do their own favors. So. But you have to supply your government issued ID at the door. <laughs> what are you gonna do, libertarians? What right. are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? And they're gonna put it in a file and they're gonna keep it. But oh. you can smoke inside. Oh man. man. <laughs> There's the conundrum, right? Like a, if, a libertarian finger trap. <laughs> yeah. I, I caught I caught another one of those types who I could say is an ex friend ex friend of mine because like he's also self-identifying libertarian. Um he's also and I have nothing against guns if they're done right. And I'm gonna say that outright. I don't have anything against guns. In fact, like they are kind of useful. I'm not gonna call them tools. <laughs> that's yeah. that's stupid. But but this guy we were talking about, he doesn't he doesn't believe in the registries, blah blah blah. And I'm like, well, you belong to the NRA, right? And he's like, hmm. like, well, yeah. I said, congratulations, you're part of the gun registry. Very big registry. It's <laughs> the biggest uh, registry. Yeah, you do, you don't think the government knows you have guns now? <laughs> you yeah. don't. Come right. on. <laughs> I'm a militia. He has that shirt. He has that shirt. Yeah. Uh, yeah like the, it's the, but yeah i digress <laughs> so it's a, it's a it's a consumer category like every other consumer category it's absolutely. it's um, it's you know some people consider themselves foodies and they blow lots of money on eating at very fancy restaurants and some people consider themselves survivalists and they blow lots of money on tactical gear and subscriptions to the nra and t-shirts about <laughs> They're how proud they are to be in their consumer group, and it's all, it's all capitalism, I guess. I, <laughs> I mean, I guess yeah, we all have our we all have our thing, I guess. So it's like I, I'm wearing <laughs> I'm wearing the Goonies Never Say Die shirt. Right so like, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So you know, that's uh, that's which is kind of my thing. I like like the geek shit, you know. I'm like, I read a few comic books. I I watch some some sci fi and. And, you know, I talk, yeah. I, then I talk to, and I talk to rappers and poets. <laughs> That's what I do. Yeah. I, I like, don't to, like Jay-Z. Yeah. Like Jay-Z said, sensitive thugs, you all need hugs. <laughs> Absolutely. Need. Absolutely. All right. Um, so, so thinking of thinking of movies, you have, you've written a couple movies. Yeah. A couple. Uh, and so one, one has Chasmel Palminteri, which that's pretty, yeah. pretty dope in and of itself. Yeah. Like the, the man that drives backwards in the Bronx tale. I, I don't don't understand that scene, but but there it is. <laughs> yeah. So, so what got you into that? Uh, it was a side gig. Um, it was a thing that came along as I was trying to make my first record in 2008. Uh, local movie producer offered me not very much money um, to write a horror movie. That um, actually, I, I wrote uh, one local producer a series of of movies that never got made. Um, but got like some minimal pay and some minimal experience and realized like I liked doing it. It was a fun exercise. And um, then when I got hired, I guess around 2006 uh, by Tom Danucci to write a movie called Almost Mercy. Um, it was a low budget thing. It was a low risk thing. I needed some money around Christmas time, <laughs> wrote him this movie, didn't think anything was going to come of it. And then they made it and people liked it and they were willing to give us uh, a slightly bigger budget to do uh, another movie. And they, they settled on this 1975 heist that took place in Providence uh, called the bonded vault heist um, where people stole millions from the mafia and no one exactly ever found out who did it. 
or was responsible. There was though there was urban legend, and uh, Rhode Island being a real small place. I even knew some folks that had some connections to the story, um, and so it was a really interesting project. I co-wrote the script with the director. Uh, it probably took about five years work total, um, and I also got to do the score. Uh, which we did like in a crazy short amount of time. It was like over a summer once as the movie was being cut together. So it was an independent production, um, but it was a real learning experience. And yeah, Chaz Palminteri was in it. Don Johnson was in it. Uh, Theo Rossi, who was really dope and and like advocated for me on the set when I met him uh, because he's a hip hop dude uh, from Sons of Anarchy. Nice. And uh, he was also in Luke Cage. And uh, so he he understood kind of like who I was on site. And I was telling him this idea about scoring it with kind of soul funk breakbeat sounding 70s music uh, that we got money to go record with a bunch of really talented session musicians. Um, yeah, so it was, a, it was a big opportunity and experience and it was fun. It was a lot of fun. That's dope. I didn't realize uh, that Luca Rossi was a, a hip hop head too. So that's pretty too cool too. So yeah, the, the Sons of Anarchy is pretty badass. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I, I liked him in that. And yeah, he's dope. He's been in a lot of great things since. Stay in touch. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, so it's so thinking of the the process and everything, um, like because it's like writing a movie and composing music for a movie, and then you also write poetry and also write raps. Um, so, I mean, I know there's the, there's the process between writing a movie and writing a song or a poem, totally different. But like when you sit down, is there like when you sit down to write, is there a known difference right at the minute you start, like whether it's going to be a poem or a, a song and even some of your songs are stories. So do you, do you have like, do you have an idea of like what kind of writing is coming out when you sit down to write or? They they used to be similar and they're becoming more similar now in a different way. Um, the pan- the pandemic and this downtime has been really cool because I've had a ton of time to just dig in to craft stuff and it was was really the first time because I was just sort of working and creating and working and creating for the first entire half of my career from probably. 1999 to 2019 um it it was uh, i I was putting it together as i went in terms of how i approach things and i i don't think there was ever really consistent method that i was applying from the outset it was kind of just impressions ideas start writing start editing Um, And through movies, I gained an appreciation for structure and what it could do for my writing. And even to a certain degree, math (laughs) and what it could do for my writing. And now um, the thing that really excites me and is fun for me is, is doing this structure stuff and seeing you know, how, how well I can aim my shot before I even take it kind of by by subdividing the length of the piece I'm trying to create and breaking it down into really just kind of writing the blueprint for the house before the house goes up. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) it's, it's made, it's it's made things easier. It's made everything make more sense. It's 
I would have maybe gotten to the same results before, but I would have just been banging my head against the wall and just going through this like um, emotional nightmare of like, I'm a bad writer. No, I'm a fucking, yeah. You know, and like you just, you force it through sheer will and brutality. But in the end, the answer was just like, step back for a second. Look at the, look at the big picture, then create a plan for how the pieces are going to come together. Um, so I've been really digging that with both with songs and movies lately nice it's, yeah it's like i know that like i like I, when i was a kid I used to write raps and then i also wrote po- poems and like in if person would ask what what are you writing and if i said like if it sucked i would say well it's a rap <laughs> so it's, <laughs> like, if, it, if, if it, i liked it a little bit it was a poem but <laughs> um, but now that yeah, uh, but now, <laughs> now it's pretty much poems, or I, I will write like essay style stuff sometimes, and easy to tell the difference between the two of those. So it's like when I'm sitting down, I mean, uh, like similar to like what we you were talking about, how like the difference comes, and um, yeah, that's pretty that's pretty dope though. Is like I I know that there seems to be. A, I mean, I, I I'm here for the whole of the career of yours like I, I love everything i've heard from the prior like the older days to now so the snippets i'm looking forward to this new album for sure um so it's like it's but it's from a writerly standpoint like it's fun to listen to you talk about that and then and then apply it to what i've been listening to as well so it's like because i can almost hear what you're talking about as, as you're saying so yeah it's been it's been it's definitely been helpful and and like form in general is is something that i appreciate more i think as i as i get older because the the a big part of the problem is the infinite directions that you can go in and a lot of times the most helpful thing is rules to just get you know especially when you're the one making the rules so make the rules for yourself and you will start to eliminate possibilities for yourself. And that might seem non-creative, but it, it actually will force your creativity down a very specific path. Um, and that's why I dig the form and the structure these days. All right. I was, I was about to ask you about like, if you had, like you, you mentioned, if you had some sort of rules you set up for yourself and, 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 because I mean, and I like that way, the way you worded that too. Because I, I think about um, I think about Shakespeare a lot, and his sonnets live in very strict rules. Yeah, but they're also very different than the others, um, as far as tone and and and, and subject matter and things like that. So, so I guess that's really dope that you you tap into rules as a way to be more creative. Um, so. Yeah. And some of the rules are rules for a reason because they're they're effective. And um, yeah, it's with, with with rap. I there are, are rules of are not, there's not rules necessarily so much as expectations. Um, and so this was something I I kind of picked up from thinking about movies. Like if you're watching a romantic comedy, um, and it's you know, it's a 90 minute movie and you're like 60 minutes in and the main guy and the main gal who have been trying to get together the whole movie, they have a big, big fight and they separate and they're not speaking to each other anymore. You as the audience member have a subconscious expectation there 
which is what do you think that would what do you think is going to happen in the next 20 minutes of the movie <laughs> you know right. like they're going to patch it up right they're probably going to patch it up you're here to see a rom-com <laughs> like right. you, you have to you know like and and when they patch it up you're you kind of have a subconscious like ah you know like i i got what i expected of this genre and this thing that i'm here to see so so the audience's subconscious expectation is there and if now knowing that if they don't get together i might give you a whole other feeling which is like whoa what the fuck <laughs> you know I, I thought this was a rom-com i thought and then it, it just changed and so me knowing about your expectation and then working with it with your expectation can create a more i can have a bigger effect on you as the audience and it's similar in rap with just rhyme and syllables, uh, even bar to bar. Um, the, the very first bar sets up a syllable pattern and a rhyme at the end of it. If the second bar does that again, the listener starts to feel like, oh, I know this pattern subconsciously, even if they're not thinking that. If the third line does it again, they're like, oh, I definitely know this pattern. If the fourth line is the same, it's like they're saying it with you. It's the most impactful thing because they've locked in with you and they're like, I get where you're going. I'm expecting you to get there and like, boom, you get there. And that's why like on the fourth bar of a MC's rap, that's where you put the punchline. That's where you put like the heaviest hitting bar that's going to deliver, <laughs> you know, like the, the thing you really want to hit them. Right. Um, or you don't deliver it there and you fuck them all up. <laughs> you know like uh same kind of principle but that's that's where the the structure and the form like it it, it can be a tool it can be a really powerful tool yeah i like that i like how you frame that that's that makes 110 percent sense there is like i i dig that uh so so and thinking and also thinking of like how you uh in the vein of you how you write your rap so and you do a lot of your own beats now right too so it's like yeah, uh, not not um, this this album is going to be. I'd say I did about a third of the beats, maybe. Okay. But yeah. And uh, so so if you if you come into a, if you have if you say if you have your bars, um, do you have your bars before you hear a beat, or is the beat that kind of feeds into your feeds into your writing process, or or does it sometimes depend on the song? Almost, it's pretty rare that I have words with no music. Um, usually the music comes first. The Who Killed Russell Jones was one that I wrote just a cappella and then had to find music to fit it. Um, but usually there's a beat first. All right. There's like, I, I've heard a lot of people like to write to the beat. So, yeah. Um, I know I don't even, I don't write raps anymore, but even when I write, I listen to instrumental. I listen to a lot of DJ work. <laughs> so it's, yeah. Well, this is too much scratching. I can't do too much scratching when I'm <laughs> trying to write, but I love the scratching, yeah. but I can't. But, but that's really dope, though. It's a, so, you, so you said there's about one third of your, like, that this, this new album is going to be your own beats. And then is it okay to ask who has done other beats for you on that? Uh, I'm keeping it a little bit under wraps until I, I release the track list. So I don't want to say too much, but um, there, there are some folks people know. Okay. <laughs> I'll leave it there. I, I will not press. I don't like to pressure anybody. <laughs> pressure, so it's like, I'll tell you. I'll tell you offline. I'll tell you off podcast, off the record. Perfect. I won't. I won't. I won't spread the. I won't spread the word. <laughs> I'll. I will honor the, uh, the secrecy until the album drops. So, uh, so, so speaking of collaborations too, like things like the and 
And you talked a little bit about what brought you into St. Francis's world and then now Strange, Strange Famous. Uh, I had to explain why it's called Strange Famous. And then I said, well, Sage Francis. And I said, kind of rhymes. And like, I went on this whole thing to someone and like, they, they were just looking at me like, um, okay. <laughs> so, but, uh, but, but uh, first of all, like big, big props for your beard. Because I'm, like I said, also <laughs> also a bearded dude. Um, so if so, let's start there. Actually, let's um, let's start <laughs> there the first. Go to the beard first, then we'll start talking right. about the music again. Um, so what what what's the first thing that was like? Hey, I want to grow a beard. What was the first spark of that? <laughs> As a kid, I was in middle school. I I I instantly wanted a beard. My dad had a mustache, um, and I I can remember I I started growing a beard pretty young. A little hairy Italian kid, and um, and yeah, I just always I, I immediately attempted it. Then later, I worked as a doorman on Park Avenue, where they made me shave my beard, and I oh, hated that. And I was constantly stupid. getting, I was getting written up for having stubble all the time. Um, and so once I got out of that job, that's when the beard became even more defiant. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it just grows there. I don't really do a lot to make that happen i get a lot of props for it though i mean unearned sometimes but i mean you should though i mean it's like it looks <laughs> it looks quite shapely like if i can can if i can talk about another man's looks for a second like no, it, sure, go on. i mean i mean it, we're it, it, for the listeners out there like make sure you check out <laughs> this band, this, this band's <laughs> maybe check out the music definitely check out the beer. De- definitely check out the music but also check out the beard because like the beard is there and it's, it's, it's prominent and it's, it fits the face you're going to be looking at. <laughs> it's a little, it's a little whiter than it used to be. Yeah. I, I hear that. I'm there too. I'm pretty yeah, sure. The little, nephews. Yeah, I'm blaming the little one on this one. It was like, I'm pretty sure she's the reason I'm on blood pressure meds right now. So uh, yeah, yeah. love her to death. Uh, but man, is she a lot. <laughs> is she <laughs> Yeah, you can feel them turning white in the night sometimes as you stare I, at the ceiling. Yeah, I think I think so. Like, like I, I, or if I start hearing her wake up, and there's like a, I could hear them start turning. <laughs> That's a... like, oh man, it's one thirty in the morning. What are you doing, kid? <laughs> and, but there was a time at one thirty in the morning in my life that I've been like, yeah, it's still early. I am not yeah. there, not there anymore. But. Uh, uh, that's that is what it is. Um, so speaking of beards and like, I know, like you you talked a little bit about brought you into strange, strange famous, aka Sage Francis's world, um, but specifically Epic Beardman. And I just re-listened to both of those those records today. Like th- those are fantastic fucking records. <laughs> like there's parts of it that make me laugh my ass off, and there's parts of it like you guys got a little ser- more serious than you said you would on this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so so what was the main idea i mean both of you guys are bearded dudes so like obviously the name came from that and you guys are both <laughs> yeah. epic men as well um but but what was what was the catalyst that really like because i know you did a number of tracks together but what was the catalyst that was like let's do albums yeah it was it was years of touring together and um just kind of like backing each other up on stage and we developed uh you know a kind of like wordless language while performing together and touring together um where it just worked out well interpersonally and aesthetically and uh we both were giving the same level of effort on stage and uh in our in our writing and 
people had been suggesting that we team up from like almost the day we met in the slam poetry scene in 2002, um, which at the time they were saying we should do group pieces. Uh, some, some, some of those are the worst. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, but just be, I think probably just because of the visual of us resembling each other and looking like brothers and both being able to wrap our asses off. Um, and so we kind of just came to a point where we were like, we ought to do this because if we don't do this now, we're never going to probably do this. Um, and we we booked uh, the Edinburgh Fringe, uh, which is this dope festival I'm about to go do again in Scotland, um, where you get to kind of stay in the same city for 30 days and perform in the same venue for 30 days. Um, so while we were there, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, so that's just really dope. Oh, man. Yeah. It's like a residency. Yeah, exactly. It was it was the closest thing I had ever experienced to like a writing residency where I I'm a, I have permission to just be a writer for 30 days prior to the pandemic. Um, but uh, <laughs> but uh, and so that both the EP and the LP were were really the same collection of songs. It could have just as easily been one album. Um, but the way they were finished, they ended up getting kind of split apart into two projects. And yeah, I'm super proud of it that, that um, musically and and material wise, I I still revisit those albums and love a lot of those songs. And they were really fun tours and it was great, great energy uh, for both of us to be out on the road with at that time, especially because they were kind of more upbeat songs than we've been doing solo. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and yeah, yeah, people responded really well. And I personally, like I said, love those records. Like it's like it, it, you could hear the like the boom bap, like punchline stuff that we all grew up on coming through in those. Like it's like it like the and and also it's very distinctly you and Sage just wrapping your asses off the way you guys and only you guys do uh, because you guys are very like singular singular voices. I would say, but at the same time, like you guys together. Um, it's, 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 it seemed effortless, like those best duos that, that just go back and forth with each other. And like, it just, yeah, that synergy was, was almost like, you could almost touch it. <laughs> so it's like, like when I was listening to the albums today, I was like, this is, this is incredible. Like this listening to back, the back and forth, like the past the mic type thing. And like, yeah, but in such a, like, and so there's so much like a part of it that, it, and I don't know how if you resent me for saying this then, then go ahead and say it. Uh, mm-hmm. but uh but that there was a there's a certain like aspect of like nerd rap to it that i really <laughs> fucking yeah love yeah. About it too. yeah yeah like, nerdy yeah like because like i mean look at the cover of one of them where you guys are all decked out <laughs> that's right star trek <laughs> star trek style and yeah the, like the, the the this was supposed to be fun cover is fucking hilarious too because like it's it is it's just it's like so just like the visuals there were just it just had that 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 speaking of the camp, camp we were talking about, but then you listen to the album, and you guys are just rapping your ass off from start start to finish. It's just, yeah, so I couldn't go without talking about those albums because they're just so fucking good. Yeah, that that was one of the more more fun things about that time was um, having a having another person, especially another person that you know really well and trust. Um, to be the opposite point of view to you um i think kept 
most of the time on those songs kept either of us from getting too deep in our own self and going too introspective or too isolated with our viewpoint and kept us kind of in a a more maybe social place than either of us would have ended up previously and we ended up being sillier and maybe a little more of our selves or finding ways to to have an outlet for a side of ourselves that didn't necessarily make it into the music as much pre-epic beard men yeah i um, could i could hear that yeah because your homie is there to just like poke a hole in you if you get too serious you know? <laughs> right. that's the, that's the thing and you guys were like both like because you're both married right like it yes like, he, um it, 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 i don't know well he wasn't married when we were writing it but he's married now but and yeah, you now we're both married and you were his best man, right? It's like if I remember, yeah, right? we were each other's best man. That's okay. That's what I was thinking. Okay, I was, I was like, I feel like I saw that online somewhere. Like I saw because I follow both of you on Instagram. So, and and it, 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 you guys are still pretty tight. I'm hoping, right? So it's yes, yeah, uh, that's uh, yeah. Because no like, yeah, because I'm, uh, I'm, I've, I've hit him up, but I've not seen anything back yet. So like, I, uh, to come on to the corner as well, but. But, uh, he, he might just appear like the Phantom of the Opera one day as well. I've been, yeah, I've been told he likes to talk. So, that's, so. <laughs> but uh, we, I was thinking about like the way like you're talking about like the way you guys interact with each other and poke holes if you get too serious. Um, you could definitely like in both of your music, like you guys have this way about you that like if like you have a like a sort of sort of sarcasm boiling underneath oh, even some of the most serious shit you guys say. So it was really fun to watch that happen in a in a setting with both of you at the same time so it's yeah. like you just let that run run, run wild with it and it's like i'm just thinking of like some of his darker songs too like i'm like like this guy just needs to laugh sometimes and then yeah. when i when i hear interviews like he laughs so i'm okay i'm okay with yeah that's the thing i mean you know like you you sort of you figure out how to get one aspect of yourself into your music and especially if you're successful at it people people then associate you with that aspect of yourself as if that's your whole self. So for me, after film, the police, after they hear that many people are just like, Oh, he's political all the time, or he's a political rapper. Um, when in fact, like I got a song about wanting to be friends with Vin Diesel that you ain't never heard, <laughs> but like, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm silly as shit. A lot of the time, like, um, but maybe that song is just wasn't as good or I don't know, or, or like it didn't catch fire in the same way. So you, you know, you don't associate that as the first thing you heard of me. And if you had heard that first, you might think I was a whole other type of rapper. Right. So that's sort of just a, a byproduct of perception um, and something that you don't even necessarily have control over as an artist. You just try and get as much of yourself as you can into your music. But um yeah, it's always interesting yeah. when people are like, "Oh, there's other sides to you." Like, yeah, there's a couple. <laughs> yeah, there's. That's like that's like, it's the layered onion thing. You know? so yeah, we all yeah. we all we all have the layers. I would have hope anyway. You don't want to be a two yeah. two dimensional sociopaths, maybe. Yeah, oh, man. Yeah, <laughs> those are yeah those are the folks that you the, the two dimensional folks you really have to work work out for. I think yeah, those <laughs> keep keep your. Like somehow get your eyes in the back of your head for that. So, yeah. Uh, so, and I, and I, I, but then in also preparing to talk to you tonight, I listened to like both, both the Epic Beer Bin, but I listened to everything I have of, of yours, your solo stuff. 
and the thinking about that funny stuff, like there's some points and even after some of the most serious moments, like you were talking about the Vin Diesel moment. And there was one, there was one line there. Also, you said something was stop saying I sound like Sage Francis. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, like, so that, that made me laugh too. Cause I'm like, if people knew that it, sometimes it's like, if they only know you for you and they don't know you outside of you, like that's. Yeah. yeah that was a, I mean, that was a byproduct of being on strange famous and, that is that label is a label that sage built from the ground up for literally from kinko xerox um cassette covers that he would hand mail to each person uh over the course of the life of that label um and so that those fans are very very devoted to sage and they will support things that sage puts out and is on um but the maybe drawback of that is the instant comparison and early on when i was releasing music on that label i was kind of again like just sort of encountering people's perceptions of me and uh aside from the physical appearance like you mentioned the the sense of humor thing like geographically i think we probably grew up about 10 minutes away from each other and share a very similar (laughs) cultural background of you know like uh that sarcasm that that way of being that gallows humor that's very much like of our place and time regionally you know and specific that that combined with the fact that i was on his label and in some cases it would be a, a compliment you know like um but i would as a young person just like bristle and just be like what the fuck you don't know who the fuck i sound like man you don't know you don't know who my influences are like l- keep listening you haven't heard enough to compare me to anybody that's funny speaking of influences I and mean, we talked about wu-tang and 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 that whole crew uh like what are some of the sparks and influences that got you into to hip-hop basically like uh and is there i mean if you could name some names I guess that's the the question too. Yeah, the rapper that made me want to rap was Scarface, and the oh. the album was The Diary. That's a dope uh, album. Yeah, and I think I think I was about twelve years old when I heard it, <laughs> and uh, and I I was a weird kid. I was very obsessed with death, and I had had some stuff happen to me as a young kid that had me sort of more fixated on it than a 12 year old probably should be, but I, my nephew's turning 12 and I'm realizing he's angsty as fuck right now too. I think, I think it's just, I was at the right age and I was just (laughs) looking at everything around me and I was like, this is fucked up. This is bad. And I also knew that my own death was impending or I had a sense of in fear of it. Um, And I, I, I was angry. Um, And I think also adolescence is the age when um, young boys sort of start to, do that thing we were talking about earlier and policing themselves and um, anger is one of the only emotions that young boys are sort of given access to. Like we, we expect them to while out and hit people and hurt people and break shit. Um, and we even reward it sometimes at that age. Right. And so I was just so angry and I didn't necessarily understand why. And when I heard Scarface, <laughs> it, it just, that what was the point of view he was writing from, even though it was completely divorced, he's, you know, fucking black dude in Houston, fully grown man. I'm fucking 12 years old in uh, New England. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> but he would just say shit in between these like hard ass gangster bars. He would just be like, because life has no meaning. We were all born to die. So no screaming. <laughs> and I was just a little 12 year old me was like, yes, yes. <laughs> Someone's fucking saying it. And uh, and uh, so I was just hooked and I just wanted to like hear more and I wanted to write raps. And, and I went just searching for anything I could find. And I think early shit I found was like, the Tikal record, the uh, Ready to Die by Biggie. I mean, there, there was, I had like DJ Jazzy Jeff Fresh Prince tapes and shit like that. But like, this is an older me actively seeking out the music and starting to fall in love with it. Um, DJ Clue tapes started to be something that like you could trade with friends at school. We would just oh, like yeah. trade fucking and dub tapes and shit. Um, so DJ Clue tapes were where I heard a lot of the, new york rap that was out at the time and yeah i just like squirreled away everything i could get and just played the shit out of it um and then when i turned 18 i moved to new york to be a rapper because it was kind of pre-internet and that's what i thought you had to do <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah so that that was my gateway but then public enemy at a certain point i discovered uh, apocalypse 91 was the tape for like a year or two of <laughs> just <laughs> I have memories of shoveling snow and listening to public enemy. And uh, so, yeah, it was like whatever I could get my hands on. And then from public enemy, my political awareness started to like grow a little more rage against the machine was also out at the time and they, their evil empire album. Uh, the inside cover was just a picture of a, of a pile of books. And yeah. I just went and found all those fucking books and just read all those books and which led me to more, political hip-hop and um so it's it's how i became politically aware it's how i learned to express myself uh it's then been my whole life's work um so the you know like it's impossible to say what i owe <laughs> to uh -huh. yeah, that's that's dope like i you and i have a pretty similar like hip-hop upbringing i think um I, I don't remember how old I was when I discovered Scarface's diary because I was already into uh, my mind is playing tricks on me like the ghetto boys yeah. did and then yeah. uh, and I'm, I'm shouting them out on them almost every episode uh, but um, my big brother um, he's a brother from another mother type but uh, he gave me uh, it takes a nation Where? I don't yeah I remember how old I was but like similar situation like blew my fucking mind like it just destroyed my world and put it back together better than one. So it's just yeah. so like so I understand that idea too. Like a lot of my politically charged mind came from public enemy and and then further into Rage Against Machine because they were loud and they were articulate. Yeah, so, <laughs> there's almost no difference in my when I heard Zach DeLaRocca I was like, oh it's it's Chuck D with the rock band. Cool. Yeah. Yeah that's that's just it. Yeah. It's like in in yeah, because before before Rage and before like, like then PE before them, like being angry wasn't so articulate. <laughs> so <it was> just, <laughs> and I just remember thinking that like at first I'm like this is really fucking loud. I remember I was like maybe 12, 13 when my big brother gave it to me, and I remember yeah. just like what is going on here? Like the sonically, I'm like I think my head is going to explode. And then yeah, yeah. Then Chuck just he taught me and he keeps teaching me. Yeah, it was so it was so it's crazy now to think because it's such a different world. But, um, 
you know, I like my nephew has grown up knowing the president's a fucking idiot, you know, like <laughs> his first, his first president he's conscious of is Donald Trump. So he's just like, this guy's a fucking clown. Right. And they're like, yeah, this guy's a fucking clown. Like, and the adults are confirming, yeah, this guy's a fucking clown, you know? Yeah. But like in the eighties, if you're a white suburban kid and fucking Ronald Reagan is president, it's all good. And like, even though you can see around you, it's actually not all good. And you can see that white people are fucking racist around you. And like, shit is weird. Like, um, and you're, you're under economic stresses. If you're a poor white person that you're told don't exist and you're told that you're like, it's all good. But you know, if you're feeling that strain and that shit is in your life, like it's not, it's not named poverty. It's not called, abuse it's not you know and then like you finally like get uh, this tape that's like white people are fucked up fuck america fuck the president and you're like oh yeah like you know, right. you know like it was it, it really was it was a revelation it was just like oh i this is where the truth is being talked about this is where people are talking like real real reality is real absolutely yeah that's that, that's that's well said, sir. Well said, because like that's that's the moment like when I when it takes a nation first got to me. I was I, I remember like I had flashes of all the times I've seen people of color in my life be treated like shit. I had times where I was treated better, even though I was the one that did the the most wrong in a situation. And yeah. like, and I'm like this, not that I'd wanted to get in trouble in those situations, but I was wondering why. And then like Public Enemy comes along, and they went, "This is why, kid." Let's yeah and if you if you're trying to be a moral person you know like it's you it's an easy decision kind of if you're just coming at it from a child's point of view of like he, he, all right they're saying you're racist i've seen you be racist are you racist no i'm not racist you're fucking lying <laughs> you know like you're the liar these are the non-liars i'm gonna go be with the non-liars like absolutely yeah because yeah, i know uh, i mean it's like when i was growing up like there were always kids like older than me, you know, break dancing or doing some graffiti and everything. And some of those kids, so big props to them, or I can't remember any of their names because they all told me their actual names, not their dancing names or their, their tag names. But yeah, uh, but this was when I was little. They would take me in and they'd show me how to dance and everything. But they would always say, like, you know, don't don't let your church see you do this stuff. <laughs> or don't let just don't like, you know, and stuff like that. It was it was yeah. crazy. And and then public enemy really justified everything they were saying and also made me more pushed me more into that that realm like like you said too like it just gave you a lens and yeah just so fucking good mm-hmm. and, uh, and like i said too like they then chuck still teaches me to this day like i'll hear something that i've had yeah. in my collection for 30 years and i hear a line i'm like oh that hits a little different now yeah. <laughs> so it's like and so thinking all this that stuff too, like in that, back into the, like your music, um, do you hope for a day where, where your your songs like a song like Film the Police or um, or even Russell Jones? Um, are you hoping for those those just moments in time um, and not so fucking relevant every time you turn on the news? <laughs> like it's are you hope are you hoping for that? As, uh, I feel like we all are when you hear a song like that, but it's. Yeah, I don't I don't totally have that expectation. I don't think I um I tend to think about um the long arc of history <laughs> as Martin Luther <laughs> King 
mentioned right. um the curves toward justice but it's long as fuck clearly um yeah. and um there were two movies that came out around the same time years ago that i thought were pretty good like illustration of like what people think activism is in retrospect and like what it actually is and the movies were v for vendetta um which i think that's what people think activism is like and that was like about like a superhero type character who is a vigilante who rallies the people behind him and it's this big confrontation and there's a win and it's satisfying and um, everything changes in an instant due to the actions of one heroic character like a rosa parks or yeah. something or you know like in retrospect we we sent we tend to take certain people like martin luther king and say like this person created this moment of activism that changed the world and the uh, the other movie that came out was children of men oh, and that's another good one yeah that movie is what i think it's really like which is um the, the the goal of the better future is actually just kind of passed from like one hand to the next hand in the midst of the world fucking falling apart <laughs> and um that each person in this baton race sacrifices everything they can and tries as hard as they can and ultimately the vast majority of them are going to just see themselves pass it to the next person with the world in a in a very similar place of upheaval and scariness um but that ultimately that goal might be accomplished by everybody's combined continuous efforts through time and cooperation through time. Um, and I, and so if I'm like part of that, then I'm happy and I don't, I don't need to see like the finish line. Yeah. That, that makes sense. I like that. I like how you frame that. Cause I know that like even my hope biggest of hopes, you know, I would, I'd love that, you know, a song like film the police or, or can't trust it or fight the power to be like a work of history. But, but yeah, I've seen too much to know I've seen too much. <laughs> so it's a, it's a, it's yeah. And that, yeah, I used, I used to, that, that was part of what I used to think about political art was like, okay, if, if Chuck D could have write the song that changed the world, like what are the odds you're going to? And the answer is like, not very, hi <laughs> you know, like, right. um, that's not you that shouldn't necessarily be your goal like if that's your goal you might be framing it wrong for yourself in your head um absolutely you have to you don't have to be the superhero you just have to contribute yeah that's a, that's the that's the goal right there and i remember there was a feral Monch interview i heard where he was talking about police brutality uh, and you know he's written a handful of songs about it and someone gave him shit about it He's like, well, you didn't you write this write about this last time? And he's like, well, didn't it just fucking happen again? <laughs> and so yeah. tell tell the cops to stop killing my people, and maybe I'll stop writing songs about it. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, yeah, you know, it's that's 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 it's the simple equation, but it's not the simple. It's not a simple solution, if that makes sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I think the the effect of art on on people in terms of social justice is, is can be hard to measure. And, and yet like we're talking about how our political awakenings came as the result of 
political music. <laughs> like it, <laughs> right. it does, it does weird. It does have a collective effect over time, uh, but it's hard to measure and it's hard to point to like this changed this and this did that. Right. Uh, it makes sense. Uh, I like, I like that thinking for sure. And uh, yeah, so, so the, say we, we've we've laughed a lot which is awesome is like i know that you talk about a lot of serious stuff but you like to laugh too so um but uh you said that we were, we were talking about earlier and you said too that you got the tour coming up and you say like it's in the uk and ireland so like uh what what sparked it to go over that way like what did you want to go that way for that's always been some of our best audiences out there that's where we go and are are greeted by big big crowds um that are ready for it and up for it and uh i'm not even totally sure culturally why i mean i have an idea why but um it's been for a long time where american hip-hop acts can go um to fill a club when necessary that might not necessarily be the case even in the u.s um the u.s is huge to be fair and like re regionally there's lots of change and shit going on in the u.s and it's a big country to try and tour uh even just from a cost standpoint uh to put everybody in a van and drive them all over america um the uk is a little smaller geographically and yeah people are just up for it and so cost wise it it made sense to go try to tour there for the first time since the surgery. Cause I'm going to be able to have a driver and a merch person. And, and I'm basically in this new reality. I should never touch a box. <laughs> That's a bad idea for my back. Oh, um, so um, yeah. So just like the cost associated with touring, I, I don't know if people like realize what the business of that looks like for a DIY musician or an indie band. Um, but yeah, it's just the it's basically the most feasible out there uh, to try, and then depending on how it all goes, we'll make more calculations about maybe doing like regional stuff in the U.S. Um, or I don't know. I, don't, I this is really me dipping my foot in the water after COVID to just see what live music is like at this moment, and uh, we'll see. Nice. But the few chances I've had to go to shows uh, lately have been good energy because everybody has been waiting, had yeah. been waiting for two years to see something in front of them be, you know, happening and nothing, not not streaming. And streaming has been good, <laughs> but it's uh, yeah, yeah, it's going to be a different feeling for sure. Looking forward to it. Yeah, so I don't want to take up too much more of your night. So, uh, but I just wanted to thank you very much for coming on because it's been. Awesome. Uh, it's been an awesome conversation. Uh, hopefully, I delivered on the goods as far as being like you know easy to talk to. So. Yeah, man, it's been a great, uh, great talk. Thank you for the invite. I'm glad yeah. we got to make it happen. Yeah, me too. And I'm for fellow New Englanders too. So like, I, I live in Vermont, right. Vermont now, but uh, but yeah. So hopefully, when you talk about regional stuff, you're coming up this way or like to Boston because I could I could top down to Boston this year. <laughs> so. Yeah, Boston. Boston will happen soon. I do want to get back to Vermont though. I. It's been a it's been years since I was in Burlington. I've never played any venue other than the higher ground, but man, it's been years since I played Vermont. It's been years since I played New Hampshire. Maine is always um great. Uh so it'd be real easy to set up a little like northeast thing. More nice. do to get back to Philly, New York. Nice. Yeah, hopefully next year. Yeah, there's a place in Burlington called Nectar's too. I saw Lyrics Born oh, yeah. there. He was. I've heard of that place. Yeah, that's a pretty cool little spot too. So, I don't know what the what what it cost an artist to get there. Obviously, I 
just no, it, it's, it's easy to get to. You. I know that. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just, it's probably just availabilities and schedules and shit. We'll, right. we'll tag Nestors when the podcast drops. Right. <laughs> Nectars, Nectars, not Nestors. Maybe ne- edit out the part where I say the name of the club wrong. <laughs> or I'll say I'll say it wrong too. Nectar's or, uh, Lounge, right? Yeah, Nectar's Lounge. Where? Yeah, where, I've heard of it. Where the legendary fish came from, and I say that. Oh shit! Yeah, I say that it with the wince on my face because I don't really like that kind of stuff. But hey, I have fish heads in the family. So do yeah, I. Very, so do I. Yeah, and they're gonna give me shit for saying that, but that's okay. <laughs> the Freebird thing used to impress the hell out of me. I had that in the Napster era. I had Fish's rendition of Freebird. I've, I've heard their that aca- their acapella rendition as a as a feat of acapella performance. It's always impressed me. Yeah, like the one of the friends that came on the show with with me a while back, a few quite a few episodes ago. He big fish head, and he. He still talks about that. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's. I think it's the only fish song I know, though. I don't think I can name a single other fish song. Um, or I, I, I don't even know if I've heard a single other fish song. I, I can name a few only because I've lived with people who pounded me with them. That's, yeah, there was just yeah, man. Oh man, uh, I like it. the one with the solo. <laughs> 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 that's my favorite one the, the, the same th- three notes solo that we, that we talk, like, now, we're going, now i'm going down a road of negativity yeah i'm standing to the left of you i'm getting out of the way i don't want to get hit with any strays all right i will not i will not go down that road anymore so I just <laughs> um so so before before we uh we sign off i if you mind if i have one more question for you yeah. and i kind of intimated like i was trying to get a hold of sage but like aside from that man um who else should i try to get a hold of in your opinion to get on the show shit i don't know who you want to talk to i'll talk to almost anybody i mean, <laughs> I mean so i'm i'm i think about who i would talk to if i had a podcast sometimes and it's it's i'm pretty sure it's no one that would share any interest with my like the demographic that is interested in hearing me talk. That's the weird part. Like, like I've really been thinking like, I would love to do a podcast with my physical therapist and just talk to her about pelvic floor problems because she <laughs> works like that. That's where a lot of her practice is in pelvic floor shit. So just the, in the hours, she's the person that I've probably seen the most in personal face-to-face contact over the last three years because even through the pandemic i was going there at, at one point she was like one of the only humans i was having contact with aside from my wife was just like my oh, weekly pt appointment and uh so we've had many conversations for the past four years and she's like just told me about pelvic floor shit and i like i'm just interested in what what i don't know about and like i know lots of artists i don't know any physical therapists and i'm really interested to to hear like uh, i mean that whole uh, not not to fucking not to go on a crazy (laughs) tangent but i mean like that's the shit i'm interested in like let's let's talk about like why women are misdiagnosed with endometriosis for a whole generation why like after women give birth they don't get referred to a pelvic floor specialist after like a intensely traumatic thing has happened to the entire midsection of your body where all the muscles are and shit um <laughs> shit like that I'm, I'm just like i want to hear somebody talk to a fucking you know like that that's who i'd be interested to ask questions of like tell me more about this shit like i don't know anything about this but that's probably not very helpful to you I th- you know that that could be that could actually get my wife to listen to this shit i'm saying man just 
I mean, because she she would she would if you did a podcast about pebblefelvic flora, <laughs> you'd have a follower of my wife. I could tell you that she would listen like to the a, shit out of that. Yeah, maybe <laughs> a hip hop pelvic floor podcast. Maybe we can like co-host it. Yeah. I would, I would love, I would, I would love the opportunity to put some, some, some weird shit with you. That would be great. I, mean, I feel like that, that would, that would make, that would, that would definitely make my wife tune in every time I put an episode out. This is why I don't have a podcast. We've gotten to the root of that. This is no, why. No, my, no, the, yeah. No, this is why you should have a podcast. <laughs> All right, I'll uh, take it under advisement. Uh, good, good. See, I told you, like I. I am the guy. I am that guy who who will push you towards such shenanigans any day. <laughs> uh, uh, you might have. Been, you might be the Italian in this conversation, but I'm the Irishman in this conversation. So, like that's hey. that's the shit I'm about, right there. So, well, the, like D- Dolan is not an Italian name, though. This, this is, I'm fifty fifty uh, Italian uh, and Irish. Oh, nice. So, so you know, you know what's up. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And you're also New England Irish too. So that yeah, that's a special brand, is right there. So. Don't get me started. <laughs> If I had a few beers, you probably wouldn't hear any other R's <laughs> yeah, in anything same. I said. Um, I get tired. Yeah, I get tired. I don't even know where I put my cat. Oh my god! <laughs> I don't. I don't fucking know what to tell you, kid. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, but before before we uh, we hang up on on this shenanigans, um, where can where can listeners find you, your music, your art, your your poetry, your music, your movies, and anything you do? Where can they find you? Uh, imbdolan.com is the website and it has links to everything, including the tour dates and the tickets and the discord server and the Twitch channel. And, uh, yeah, I'm pretty active. We stream at least once a week and discord community is great. We're about to have a remix contest this week. And, uh, yeah, I'm always, always there. Always online. The the, the Twitch stuff you did during the pandemic was fucking phenomenal, by the way. Thank you. The Minecraft stuff was like the Minecraft concerts were so dope. I only saw the, I saw the clips here and there because I couldn't always tune in because like life is life. But uh, but they were so they were so fun. Yeah, they were special. Yeah. Yeah. But oh yeah, so com. Yeah, that's one. Which, by the way, you'll see a comic book version of, of our boy. In the evil Knievel outfit, so that's right. Looking at you right now with the big BD, you know, belt buckle too. <laughs> Can I get one of those, please? Like, is there a belt buckle that? Ha- that did no, you that's do- a good idea. Uh, yeah. That would that, be the artist just drew that. Yeah, yeah that would be dope. I should make belt buckles. Good. If they look like that, I would buy the shit out of it. <laughs> but, uh, but, but yeah. So I am bdolan.com. And uh, this is B. Dolan that I'm talking to. Any final words before we uh, we hang up and and call it a night? Be kind. Be kind to each other. It's a fucking mess out there. Absolutely. Uh, amen to that. <laughs> uh, B. Dolan, thank you very much for coming on with me. Yeah, thanks for the invite. Okay. Have a great night. All right, peace, homie. Peace.